The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Hey, I'm happy, though. I, I got a beautiful day. I got a ball game later tonight. We got Ty back in the studios in Fort Smith. And I'm in a radio booth right now, a booth that I, I used to call Traveler Games in this radio booth. been coming to this ballpark for 15 years. Can't believe that Hammonds Field has, has been open for 15 years. I know we've got a lot of Cardinals fans that listen in because, as I've always heard, uh, Arkansas is... Uh, so-called Cardinals country. Of course, you're talking to a Pirates fan here from Pittsburgh that doesn't necessarily have any love for the St. Louis Cardinals. But uh, you come to uh, this part of Missouri, and they're closer to Kansas City than they are to St. Louis. Uh, but once uh, once the AA franchise was planted here in Springfield, this pretty much became just a St. Louis Cardinals city. And they've had a lot of great players come through. So uh, it's weird, though, to think that uh, Missouri State played in this ballpark first. Uh, before the Cardinals ever moved their double-A affiliate here. Uh, Hammonds Field hosted uh, the 2004 uh, Missouri State Bears uh, that I think of, I think they were either in the College World Series that year or finished in a Super Regional. And, of course, you, if you go back to the 2015 baseball season, you can thank the way this ballpark is operated for even getting the Super Regional to Fayetteville because – uh, the Texas League schedule gets priority. Uh, the main tenant in this building are the Springfield Cardinals, and they were here for a homestand when the 2015 Super Regional was supposed to be played in Springfield. Um, and they couldn't get a waiver to play it at the independent ballpark in Ozark, about 25 minutes away, because that's just a, not a good facility to be playing a big series like that. And so, so then they, they, they moved it to Baum Stadium, and we know what happened. Arkansas takes two out of three, even though they were the, they were the, the higher seated team and should have been playing on the road. Uh, so I guess we're all Cardinals fans because of that. Uh, otherwise, who knows what, what would have happened. I don't think there's any doubt that 2015 Super Regional, uh, Arkansas had an edge partially because of uh, the home field advantage and the fans uh, that came out to that uh, incredible Super Regional. Hopefully the Hogs will get to another Super Regional this year. The way they're playing right now, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Uh, the expectations for Arkansas baseball remain sky high, and again, you have very good reason with the track record of success. Uh, something we got into yesterday was about the expectations of Arkansas men's basketball. Uh, now, now, and it's not just, you know, the eight years under Mike Anderson, but it's, it's all the time going back to the last time really the team made the Sweet 16, uh, which was uh, the 1995-1996 season. And, I mean, you still had more than a handful of 20-win seasons after that last Sweet 16. But the 20-win seasons have kind of come not to a close, but they've been, they've been fewer and farther in between. You win 18 games this season, losing 16. Last year, the Razorbacks won 23, 26 the year before. You had the 16-16 and 16 record at the end of the 2015-2016 season, two 20-win seasons before that. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at this, Ty, because 
in Mike Anderson's eight years at Arkansas, he's had four years of 20 wins and four years of less than 20 wins. And usually, I mean, you're going to count a successful year at Arkansas based upon where you finish in the NCAA tournament. And, and usually, you know, if you're a Sweet 16 team, that you're going to get about 25, 26 wins. Uh, so I don't know if you necessarily just look at the number of wins that you finish with as to whether or not you met the expectations. You, you can look at the way you finish in the standings in the SEC. Maybe that's one way to handle it. Another way to be, you know, if you make it to the finals of the SEC tournament and win the thing. But it always comes down to where did you finish in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and obviously you didn't make it this year. So I think for a lot of fans... When you, when, you, when you have the expectation of being a big-time basketball program and you still haven't been to that Sweet 16 in a lot of their lifetimes, um, you know, 20-win season doesn't always mean that it was a successful year. But I also, I also go back to something we talked about yesterday. You feel like when the season started, the expectations from SEC coaches, SEC media, and the overall national media that pay attention to college basketball under a microscope, the expectations were that Arkansas was probably going to have a roller coaster year. Other than Daniel Gafford, might not have much presence inside. Uh, there was a lot of youth, yep. and there would be a lot of learning of, of how to work together, and that they ultimately would fall short of the NCAA tournament. So. I think in the media's eyes, in the SEC coaches' poll, Arkansas pretty much met the expectations. But in the fans' eyes, you you just know that overall the program isn't where they would want it to be. You want to be in that Sweet 16. And, and don't you think if you advance to a Sweet 16, you'd look at the season as a successful one? Absolutely. I mean, we always talk about the what-if moments in Razorback history. What if Arkansas had beaten Ohio State back? In 2011, would Bobby Petrino be fired after the Jessica Durrell incident? Many people say no because of that possible success that Arkansas would have attained that had never happened in program history. And you think about this, Phil. I'm going to touch on. I'm going to pull it into baseball real quick because I know you love to do that. Arkansas hasn't beaten LSU, I believe, in a series since 2011. They've yeah. never, and they've. I think, ne- I think it's 12 out of 13 years they've lost yeah. a series to them. It's pretty tough. And they've never won an SEC championship baseball. That's correct. Am I right on that? And Not they, an SEC tournament. That's correct. And the what about SEC regular season? And then they've won it once. Okay. Um, yeah, and won a couple of division titles. And the reason I'm pointing to all this, does anyone care, for the most part, about the regular season? The answer is no, because Dave Van Horn has constantly got this team headed to a regional, super regional, and umpteen times to the College World Series. The postseason success is what Arkansas fans harp on every single day with the basketball program, the baseball program, and the football program, because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Regular season means squat. You remember when Golden State went 73-9, and beat Jordan's 96 Bulls, and captured the NBA regular season best 73 wins. They lost to the Cavs in seven that year. And so that yeah. season was down the drain because it, ultimately in the postseason, they didn't cap it off. And I mean, so, look at the New England Patriots' undefeated regular season the losing Giants. the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and nobody really cares about that you didn't lose a game until you got to the Super Bowl. Because, exactly. Yeah, you make an exact point. I mean, it is, it is all about postseason success. And I could go back to baseball for a minute here and just point out something from last year. 
you know, Ole Miss. Ole Miss ties Arkansas for the division championship. Uh, they got the tiebreaker because they took two out of three from Arkansas in Oxford. Ole Miss then wins the SEC tournament, but they didn't make it out of their own regional. Arkansas goes all the way to the College World Series and nearly wins the thing. So who had the most, the more successful it year? Regular season doesn't matter. Now it's essential in terms of the seeding you get to propel you to a possible championship or deep postseason run, and that's what's hindered Mike Anderson. That is that is undeniable that regular season uh, that shortcomings at times have hindered Mike Anderson's team in postseason play. For example, they end the 2015 season losing to LSU at home, a team they shouldn't have lost to, and they possibly don't get matched up against North Carolina in that in that second round game if they win that LSU game. And then, I mean, there's like so many areas you can point to. So what I'm all trying to tie this back into is, is Arkansas fans as a whole, are they putting too much pressure? Are the expectations too high on Mike Anderson and the Arkansas basketball program? Some, Some would say yes, some would say no. I don't know what the percentages are at. But if you look at where this program is, it, it you can't argue the program is better off with Mike Anderson than it was with Stan Heath, and then it clearly was with John Prelfrey, especially in terms of APR. Like that is a, a, a an argument you simply can't have because Anderson wins it every time. But postseason wise, and he even beats Richardson basically after the '97 year in that category, postseason regular season. But in terms of postseason success, it's been lacking what fans want to get back. He's elevated the program to a certain point in the eight years he's been to. But fans are expecting it to get one step more. And it's not even like he's created a monster like Nolan Richardson did when he was here. He's The program's just gotten better and they haven't gotten to that next step. And I think that's why fans are so angry and frustrated right now with after eight years, the only thing you have to show for it is around a 32 appearance lost to North Carolina, and twice. Well, I also think that, I mean, I, I can't get into Mike Anderson's head with this, but if you just look at where he was previously and the success that he'd had at those programs. UAB, Missouri. Mm-hmm. You haven't, haven't been able to replicate it at Arkansas, where, you know, it, essentially, it's not that it was laid all that right there in front of him, and you can't necessarily take success from one program and just say, well, I can do the same thing at the next program. But the track record does stand for itself. I mean, you get UAB, a Sweet 16, a round of 32, and a round of 64. You make three tournaments at UAB in, in, the, in the time he was there, in the four years. That, that's, doing, that's doing incredible work at, at, a, at a mid-major program for what he did at Mizzou in the Big 12, an Elite Eight, a round of 32, a round of 64, and two missed tournaments. Now at eight years at Arkansas, uh, you've been to the round of 32, the round of 64, and and missed the tournament three times. And it's, I know it's got to be frustrating overall for the fans. And and I, I just think that I think that coaches have certain levels of success that they expect too. And you just, you would wonder if, if if Mike would feel that he's met the expectations that he had. For himself, yeah, and he would say. Remember, we asked Kevin McPherson about that a couple weeks ago, and he thought that Mike would say no. And looking at the rest of the SEC, so Mike's been here since the 2011-2012 season. I cataloged the postseason success for every single SEC team 
We touched. You did a lot of research I, here, man. I, I mean, my, this rundown. This is one of the longest rundown pages I've ever seen since we've been doing the show. So, I mean, take it away. So, I mean, I wanted to make sure that I got everything right when we're talking about this, and the best way you can do that is to know what you're talking about. So, Alabama's had Avery Johnson and Anthony Grant, two tourney appearances. They made the second round twice. So, basically, Johnson took them to one, and Grant took them to one each in four years, and it lost. Johnson was just let go. Grant didn't work out. Auburn, Bruce Pearl, Tony Barbie. In Bruce Pearl's fifth year, they've been to a second round, and they're currently in the Sweet 16, matched up against North Carolina. Florida, Mike White's four straight 20-win seasons. He's been to an Elite Eight and two second-round appearances. Donovan had three Elite Eights and a Final Four and a miss. So, I mean, obviously Billy Donovan had elite success down there when he was a Florida Gator. Georgia, only one second-round appearance under Mark Fox, and they're only in their first year of their Tom Green, so Fox, seven years from 2011. Kentucky, this is this is the program, Phil, that Arkansas always wants to compare itself to, and at one time you could. You Be- were. I mean, you were there in the 90s, there's no doubt, but it's been a long time since then. And I talked to Price Atkinson, who was a Kentucky swimmer and does uh, radio out at Upstate uh, on the same station as Sturge, and he talked about how they were on the same playing field, and they're just not anymore. But since 2011, Kentucky's been to an, won a national championship. They've been to another. They've only missed the tournament once under Cal. Six of seven times that they've been to the NCAA tournament, they've reached the Sweet 16. LSU will weigh. We'll see how this shakes out. You got the Sweet 16 appearance that they're currently in. Johnny Jones, Trent Johnson. You had one second-round appearance between the two of them. In 2015, can I, can I just say the thing with the, the, the thing with LSU and Will Wade's done there? I yeah. mean, he, he's done that. This LSU thing with that, what they've got going this year, this is going to be a flash in the pan. It, it, I don't. It's not the sort of thing that can be that can sustain itself. It's like Ole Miss gonna, football, kind of. You think exactly? That's okay. exactly right. I mean, you got there. You got there based upon. Uh, upon cheating, essentially, and and you can't stay at that level because you're just not one of those programs. I think LSU has been a ton of fun to watch this year, and LSU fans are going to be really angry when when it's announced that Wade is not coming back. And honestly, I mean, who's going to hire him right now? Uh, but it, it's not it's not ever going to be back where, where it's not it's going to be a long time uh, until LSU is where it is right now. Yeah, and by the way, Tony Benford deserves a lot of credit for getting them to the Sweet 16 because I thought they were going to get knocked out against Yale in that first round game playing an Ivy League school with a non an interim coach. But credit to him, Mississippi State Howlands in year four they got a first round exit this year. Rick Rick Ray went over in three years. Stansbury had one tournament back in 2011 2012. Ole Miss, Kermit Davis had a first-round exit this year, and then Andy Kennedy took him to two second rounds in seven years. Missouri, two second-round losses under Frank Haith in three years, and they thought, gosh, that team that was that basically had a, bear, a share of the Big 12 title against Kansas, that team should have not lost to Norfolk State. If Ken Anderson go over in two years, and then Conzo uh, second round last year in two years or three. South Carolina's got one year under Darren Horn and then seven years under Frank Martin. Here's an interesting point. So Arkansas fans like to bring up how Frank Martin's a really good coach, and it seems like he's right. Phil, they've been to the tournament one time in seven years, and they went to a Final Four. Frank Martin, who's supposed to be this elite coach, now they did miss one year when they went 25-9 and because of a terrible non-conference schedule. A final four appearance is all they've done postseason wise. Wow, I honestly I did I did not isn't realize that, that. Isn't that incredible? Well, because Frank Martin is is raised to a certain level that you you just and maybe it's because of the sound bites and maybe it's because of the eyebrows and 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 maybe it's because of the one team that did get to the final four. 
I'm, and I'm, I'm pulling up their page here on, on, on College Basketball Reference. And and you're right. I mean, it's not just it's not just under Frank Martin. They never made the tournament under Darren Horn. Made it once with Dave Odom and lost in the first round in 2004. So, uh, man, that that comes off as a surprise. But then, I mean, we never looked at South Carolina as some basketball power, but mm-hmm. I think we did view Frank Martin in a different light. And, and and maybe it's maybe a little bit of this is because of the success that he'd had at Kansas State. Uh, you know, with four tournaments in five years. Uh, but, uh, wow, I mean, I'll let you keep going, but that, that caught me off guard. All right, so keeping it, keeping it rolling. Tennessee, four years under Rick Barnes. They're in the Sweet 16. They've been to a second round. Three years of Conzo Moore, and they went to a Sweet 16. And then Donnie Tyndall, uh, Bo used to title him the traveling evangelist. He They were over, and they had NCAA stuff around him. Billy Kinney, this is what's also interesting. So in the last four years, Phil, Billy Kinney has been to two Sweet 16s. Last year he got to one, that incredible comeback against Northern Iowa, and they get on the Sweet 16. He gets canned. And so he's been to two Sweet 16s in four years, in eight years, two NCAA tournament appearances, I believe is the the stat. And then Kevin Stallings had five years at Vandy, went to a second round at first four appearance. Drew went to an NCAA tournament his first year and then got tossed at Vanderbilt. So the point I want to make is I, I, I orchestrate Arkansas football and Arkansas basketball kind of in the similar mindset when it comes to postseason. I think every four years in Arkansas basketball, you can have one lull when you don't make where you don't make the tournament. You go to the NCAA tournament. The other two years where you either make around you either lose in the first round or you make it in the second round. And then every four years, you should probably make a Sweet Sixteen. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the wow. sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Nikki Chabanel from Rivals.com covering Arkansas athletics. And Nikki, you got to be fired up that spring break is over. Uh, I know it was like an 11-day break for the football team, so uh, back to action, and that means uh, back to the things that you do so well. So uh, what's going on this week at uh, at spring practice? First things first, I guess, they kind of look for a new director of recruiting. I thought they just hired one. Yeah, so they never made the announcement official, so I'm not sure if his contract was ever fully worked out or not, um, but he was definitely here. I saw him. Uh, working around the recruits for the Saturday scrimmage that was uh, a couple weekends ago. So he's definitely here, definitely working. And then yesterday, I didn't even hear about it. Someone posted on the trough, shout out to that subscriber. Uh, they posted that they heard that he wasn't with the team anymore. And today I heard from a couple sources that he is back at A&M for perhaps an equal amount of money that Arkansas was offering or, or even more. Um, but, yeah, not not great. I thought he was a great hire. Um, but, you know, that position isn't that critical. It's just good to have someone that knows what they're doing. I'm sure they'll find someone. Uh, but this is, like, the third person that they were trying to get, and it seemed to be working out, and now it just kind of fell apart. You're talking about Larry McDonald, who who had the same, yeah. he had the same position at Texas A&M, director of recruiting, and now just essentially goes back for more money. Well, I think he was the assistant director of recruiting over there, okay. so he did get a promotion. Um, and 
what I've heard is that A&M's uh, head of recruiting has taken another position, but we're not sure where that is. And so that so they went back in and decided to get Larry back. I guess more than anything, if you, if, if if you're saying it doesn't it doesn't hurt you necessarily uh, that. It's, it just takes your eye off of the ball, so to speak, during spring practice, which is just paying attention to the players you got there, the guys that are coming in for visits. But necessarily, this doesn't hurt you all that much as long as you find somebody else that, that can get the job done? Yeah, the, the team is, is so involved in recruiting. Like Everyone on staff knows what's going on. The director of recruiting kind of facilitates all of that, but they have – assistants and and other people who have been around who know exactly what's going on so if anything the director of recruiting that they hire next we'll just have to get up to speed but they shouldn't really skip a beat without one in the in the meantime all right so what are the visits that are coming up this week i know that there will be a lot more visits once you get to the spring game next weekend but what what's what's going on this week as far as recruits that are coming in to campus well they have a scrimmage on saturday morning so they like to bring in recruits for those kinds of things because they get to see the coaches uh, in action. And so they'll have a few guys. I'm not sure how many just yet, um, but I know that for sure uh, an, an in-state prospect that they've been working on, uh, Castro Wallace, he'll be here from from Bryant. Um, he's a three-star outside linebacker, but he's six six, so he can move on to the defensive line um, eventually. Uh, he's got great size already, 210 pounds. Uh, he's been to Arkansas several times. And he's got seven other offers, Arkansas being the best, considering he's an in-state prospect. Like He's got Nebraska and Virginia, which are great schools as well. But being an in-state prospect, you expect him to eventually pull the trigger and um, pick Arkansas. And he probably will this weekend, in my opinion. I think they're going to push for that while he's here on campus. He was supposed to make it for the Elite Project Day a couple weekends ago, but he had a state basketball game and, and couldn't make it the next day. Some other guys that are coming, a Tennessee offensive tackle, Michael Reese. He's a three-star. He's got offers from Vanderbilt, Tulane. He's still kind of off the radar, so uh, they're doing some you know early work on that kid. Um, Jabari Small, he is from Briarcrest Christian, which is SJ Tui's old high school and they're recruiting that school pretty heavily in in memphis he is a running back prospect and he also plays some defensive back as well uh bryce cooper is a three-star linebacker out of louisiana that they've been on for quite a while they don't have a ton of linebacker offers out so i feel like they they feel pretty good about all the guys on their board right now which you can check out on hogbeat um and then there's a four-star running back from Mississippi coming in as well, and he's got Mississippi State and, Miss, and Ole Miss offers already, um, but he goes to a smaller private school in Mississippi, so he's a little off the radar, but he put up great numbers last, se- last season as a uh, junior, so I like that they're bringing him in to visit and checking him out, and then maybe they'll pull the offer, but they have a ton of running back prospects, so... I understand why they haven't offered already because they've been working really hard on maybe 15 other guys already. Nikki Chavanel, Rivals.com. Nikki, I saw one of your coworkers, Woody Womack, and I'm forgetting the other guy's name. They were talking about battles in the SEC in the spring. In your mind, do you think Starkle and Hicks is the biggest QB battle heading into the fall in the SEC? 
Well, it's definitely critically important. I think maybe more important than for anybody else uh, because uh, it was a huge, huge missing piece last season not being able to have someone who could facilitate and run the offense and execute at a consistent uh, manner. So I do think that might be the, one of the biggest battles and one of the most important. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if Hicks can hold on to the job uh, once the season starts. I expect him to be the starter. And I even want to see how K.J. Jefferson can progress and learn the offense. But as you know, it's not something you can pick up right away. Uh, even Hicks had a year at SMU before he started uh, playing in, in, in games. So, yeah, definitely the biggest question mark probably. All right, let's transition to Arkansas basketball. They in their season. We haven't got a chance to talk to you since they lost to Indiana on Saturday ending their season. Looking into next season, Nikki, do you think there's more positives or negatives for the Arkansas basketball program heading into the 2019-20 season? I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty uh, just because fans fans are kind of uh, down right now or on a negative note just with the program in general because they haven't been to a Sweet 16 in so many years and they're just it, from my view, like I, I don't come from a background where I've ever supported a team that's winning all the time. Like I'm not a Kentucky fan or something. Uh, so in my opinion, like just winning games and winning the majority of SEC games will be good enough for me. But a lot of people want to be contending for a national championship every single year, and a lot of people don't really understand how often you have to retool and you can't always prepare for guys leaving ahead of time and recruit in the way that you need to. I do think they could be doing a, a stronger job recruiting. I think they're late on a lot of guys that they might have had a chance with if they had offered a few months in advance, but they didn't really know how many spots they would have to offer, and they still don't know. So they need to get all that worked out, see who, if anyone, is going to leave the program and then go from there. But they're bringing in a Juco guy from California this weekend. I think he's like 6'8", a uh, pretty big guy. Uh, but so far, not a ton of guys that could fill the shoes of Daniel Gafford. You know, it's these end-of-season meetings that, that have to that have to take place first. And, of course, that, that also includes athletic director meeting with coach, coach meeting with his staff, and coach and staff meeting with players and then letting them know where they view them as far as where the program goes. And this goes sport to sport, but it's also every sport now is dealing with so many transfers. We've talked with you so much about the transfer portal in, in, in football. Basketball sees more transfers now, and I just feel like, you know, it's it, – Baseball's always been like the wild, wild west of college sports, and there's just more transfers in baseball than the other sports, it feels to me. But it's just, in basketball now, there's just, it seems that, uh, you get about, you know, two, three a year that are leaving, and, and maybe that's what this team needs to open up spots for where you really have your need, which is exactly like you say, a six foot eight guy that has some size. It, it just seems, like, more and more kids see that it's getting easier to transfer, and the pressure is a lot higher to contribute immediately in basketball. There's only so many spots on the floor, so if they don't see themselves being a key role player, then 
they might as well try somewhere else, and I just think they're a lot quicker about doing that these days. Nikki, Ty and I were talking about um, message boards earlier, and, you know, if you're in the media, sports media, covering college sports, you you got to pay a little bit of attention to it, and I still resist it somewhat. Now, I know you, you can't resist it because on Rivals, you've got a very active message board. So I, I was kind of wondering, to your days at SMU, what was the SMU message board like? Because Ty asked me if Pitt had a message board, and I laughed. I wonder what it was like at SMU. Well, there's definitely a message board. Rivals, like, one of our biggest things is creating, like, this community uh, where you can just chat with other fans, not necessarily on Twitter, and you're still anonymous and all that stuff, and you get inside sources sometimes. Can't usually verify those, but at SMU, <laughs> there were those very dedicated fans, but especially with a board like Rivals where you have to pay for it, it's usually, like, the most intense, uh, passionate fans that subscribe and, and post on the message boards. And then there's a lot of, like, lurkers. Uh, SMU, not so much, but it, I, I would say it's proportionate to the fan base size and general energy and love for the sport. I mean, if you go to an SMU game, you notice that there's not a ton of fans, so that's going to be reflected in the message boards. Well, there's nothing. There's nothing better than an unsubstantiated rumor that just gets that just gets a lot of push. Thank goodness for the message boards. And Nikki, thank goodness for you for coming on with us on Tuesdays. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Subscribe to hit that line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on up the middle for a base hit, and you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Old man, my ass. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, better late than never. Get off my lawn. All right, so I didn't bring this up yesterday, and I almost hesitated to bring it up just because and there's a little bit of a sports aspect to it, but this the, the, the sleazebag lawyer, Michael Avenatti, who, of course, I think you know, people know him more as, as the former lawyer for Stormy Daniels. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about a guy with ridiculous delusions of grandeur uh, threatening Nike publicly on Twitter yesterday uh, that he was, uh, was going to hold a press conference uh, exposing all sorts of bad deeds involving the FBI wiretap investigation as if this stuff isn't going to come out sooner or later. Uh, and and then being charged with extortion uh, anyway, and and now and now he now he's starting to release you know things that I think he was planning to release in his press conference uh, on Twitter about Bowl Bowl the uh, the injured Oregon Duck center uh, you know and his handlers received all, x amount of dollars and it should I mean this guy thought he was going to eventually make it into the White House he really did he 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 legitimately thought that he was going to run for and then win the presidency. And I, I mean, re- regardless of how you view politics, this, this, guy, this guy really is a schmuck, and, and that's the best way to put it. Uh, so, and I, 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 it feels like he might be going away for a while if the FBI is now, it's the Southern District of New York uh, that, is, that is, has indicted him on charges of extortion, of Nike for crying out loud. I mean, this is one of the most powerful corporations in the world and they, there's plenty of reason to view them in a negative light at times um and and you know all this stuff that's coming out from the fbi or will come out from the fbi uh about adidas 
about Nike, Reebok, all the other shoe companies. It, this stuff is going to come out sooner or later. So it's, I, don't, I don't know what Avenatti thought he was going to get away with. Was he trying to extort them for what, $20 million or something like this? But, I, I mean, I look on Twitter, and here's a, a writer from The Atlantic, Edward Isaac Dovere, says that last spring Michael Avenatti sat in a Starbucks on 16th Street with me looking toward the White House and told me he had already started to envision himself sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office as president. Well, he, can, he pretty much can now envision himself sitting behind bars, and he can envision himself without a lawn. There's no lawn for him to, to really get off of if you're, if you're there in federal prison. So uh, get, off, uh, get off my cell. All right. Do you know why I laughed when you said schmuck? Why? Do you remember the, the reference that they made in Porky's about it, right? Well, I, it's been a minute since I've okay. seen Porky's, and I know you're going to bring this up, but I know what schmuck means. Okay. You can still say this on the radio. No, I know, I know, but can, can you say P-R-I-C-K? Is that is that too much on the radio? Can you say that? Can you say which one? P-R-I-C-K. Probably. Ah, you spelled it. I don't know. I mean, you might as well say it then. I mean, here's the thing. You can prick you your can finger. You can say it. I can't say it. You can prick your finger, yeah. but you can leave it at that. Okay. So that that reference, and you remember the the Jewish guy in the movie, and he, they ask him, Phil, and they're like, schmuck is that for Jewish, It's Yiddish. Right? It's Yiddish. Yeah. And so it's a he, Yiddish term. And he just, like, laughs at him. He's like, kind of, yeah, that's why I was laughing at it. So kind of to go into that, my get off my lawn is movies today, and, and I'm so enlightened. I'm so blessed that I get to – Learn from the great Phil Elson, not just him, from Tommy, basically all you older gentlemen that are listening to the program right now, to enlighten me with the great movies that I haven't been able to watch because inherently I'm 24 years old. And these movies, especially like this one, Porky's, which John and Phil convinced me to watch last night. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I can swear this youngster's inebriated. Oh, no, 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 but if we find out he's drunk, we go book the whole lot of his accessories. Smash Son of a does it all the time. That is one of the best scenes that I've, like, I was crying laughing when I was watching that lesson. Think about when you were in high school or in college. For me, it was college because I didn't drink in high school. But think about when you're out in public and there's an officer, security guard, bouncer, and you're with your, one of your friends that was inebriated or had too much drink that night. And... So-and-so comes up to you and say, hey, has your friend had too much drink? And I'll be like, ah, he had, he had, he had one beer. He, he doesn't drink. He's underage, blah, blah, And it's like, all right, well, um, we're going to have to bring you all in unless you tell me the truth. Oh, he's, he's drunk. And it was just that exact scene last night. I mean, I, I, and I don't remember everything about Porky's because, like I said, I mean, it's, it's probably been 15 years or even longer since I've seen it. But to me, growing up, that was like the movie that was taboo for all of me and my friends and it was like when you, if you had it, if it, if it came on HBO or if it came on Showtime, you almost felt like you could only watch it with one eye open. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, for, I mean, look, there's yeah. a character named Ballbreaker in the movie for crying out loud. It was, yeah. it was an entertaining movie, uh, but it was also one of those movies, just like Revenge of the Nerds, just like Bad News Bears, just like a lot of the movies from the '80s went a little too far. Police Academy went too far with That's the sequels. But the sequels, I mean, there was, I think there was a Porky's 2, a Porky's 3, and a Porky's 4. There was just, once you get past the second one, just call it quits for crying out loud. I mean, then, now, you know, it's like, uh, what are the other movies I'm thinking of that are like that? Uh, there, there's plenty of Mission them. Impossible, Die Major Hard, League, you know, Major Mary. League really should have just stopped with the first one. 
but I, again, I'm glad that you're getting into these 80s movies. Oh, they're fantastic. Because we have more to talk about now. We have much more to talk they're about. They're so, now. I mean, like Dazed and Confused, Animal House, like, there's so many. Like, I, I was 20, I'm 24 years old and I just saw Dazed and Confused like a couple months ago. And you so. still haven't seen the original Bad News Bears. I know. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna harp on it until you actually see it. So if you, if you if you go into Thursday's halftime homework, just having seen Revenge of the Nerds, I might have to just give you half credit. Okay. Because <laughs> it's that good of a movie. All right. Here's my here's my second, and uh, I, I'll put the music underneath it here. A lot of parents know what this is. So and I got to know this song because of my children that became that really got into this into this song briefly on YouTube, you know, about I don't know, six, seven years ago, but it's become like a top forty song for crying out loud. And I've heard this at Razorback women's basketball games where they get kids to get up and dance and do baby shark dances. But now it's working its way into walk-up music for major league players. Elvis Andrews, who's a longtime shortstop for the Texas Rangers, is, is using Baby Shark as his walk-up song, at least for the start of the season. And I hope Elvis Andrews goes O for April if this is the song he's going to use. I, look, if I was a Rangers fan, I would put earplugs in my head I wouldn't even go to the freaking games. I mean, this is an earworm that probably all of our listeners are there to turn that freaking thing off, please. Yes, you're welcome. I just did. I don't need to hear this earworm. Uh, I don't know. And, and look, he's doing it for a good reason. He said, "This is my son's favorite song." Well, then play for him at home. Play it for him when he's waking up in the morning. Don't subject all of your fans to the worst earworm in the country right now. Elvis Andrews. I'm a fan of his sense of humor because he's really funny the way he and Adrian Beltry used to get into it. Andrews was always the guy that would touch his head, and Beltry hated being touched on the head. And he's a good shortstop, uh, and he's a lot of fun to watch. And I remember watching Andrews play for the Frisco Rough Riders, so I remember watching him before he was a big leaguer. But as long as you are walking up to Baby Shark, you can get off my infield. Bill, do you have a player that's walk-up song to the Arkansas baseball team you most enjoy? And then you most detest. Oh man! I mean, I, I should pull up the sounds of bomb page. That it's one one of the things that they do so well uh, for the Razorback social media is they have a sounds of bomb page. Uh, and I'm a fan of Casey Opitz. Uh, Opitz plays Bombastic by Shaggy. Uh, there are a couple others that I like, and I gotta remember. You know, one I really always liked. I always liked. Uh, the one by Edie Canozzi. You know which one? Here it is. Here it is. And I can play it for you. This is Jack Kenley's walk-up song, thanks to Sounds of Bomb. Hit it! This is a good one. I always liked when a high, my high school basketball team, and I didn't play for them, they they uh, they, they they practiced to this. They would have their layup lines to Edie Canozzi, Hot Stepper. I think that's great walk-up song. I like that. All right, so Tony Romo, Phil, we've given him a lot of gratitude for the job he did, especially this past year for CBS, because I think we both believe he is one of the top, if not the top, color commentator for NFL games. And You could argue that 
he's one of the best color commentators in his not only his sport but in sports in general. Phil, he wants now ten million a year. Ten million. He currently makes about four million a year according to sporting news. This deal's gonna expire after the twenty nineteen NFL season. So that would basically be like me going to Tommy after two years and demanding my salary increase by 150%, which is just not going to happen. And just to give you some perspective of where guys today and then legends in the past have made money in terms of the color commentator, John Madden made $8 million a year. Troy Aikman currently makes $7.5 million a year. And John Gruden made $6.5 million when he was doing Monday Night Football. And I know Romo... His nickname, Romo Stradamus. How do you say that, Romo? It's almost impossible to say it the way. Romo Ostradamus. Romo Stradamus. You got it. Romo Stradamus. And I get that, and I get he's really good at his job. But, Romo, get off my lawn, man. $10 million a year. $10 million a year to call, what, upwards of 20-something football games? No. like <laughs> I feel like I'm... Maybe I'm maybe I'm blasting. Is that like asking way too much money? For- it's, it it feels like right. It does. It, it, uh, it feels like it's a bit much. Uh, but I mean, you can you look. We can look at it another way too. I mean, he was that good in his first year. And what has it been? Two years now that he's been yeah, two uh, years. He's been working with Nance. Yeah. Uh, and and how bad Witten was. You know, when you when you when you c- compare and contrast people with with fun personalities. That, that that look like they might be good at being a color announcer, and then you put one of them in the CBS booth and he kills, and you put the other in the ESPN booth and he dies. Um, I mean, and also too, I mean, look, there's no other, there's no more watched program on CBS than their NFL game of the week. I mean, it's far and above the highest rated program on, on that network, and it's the same for NBC, and it's the same for uh, for ESPN. Uh, so. I don't know. I, and here's the other thing about about Romo. He's not a one-trick pony, but he's got a shtick that's different than any other color commentator in sports. And a, a lot of color commentators will do some predicting. You know, like if I'm when I'm doing the baseball games with Bubba, he'll he'll tell you you know what he thinks may happen on occasion, maybe the pitch that he thinks might be coming, and he's giving it to you from the batter's perspective because that's what he was and that's really what he still is. For for Romo, he's doing more predicting than anybody that I can think of, and getting it right usually, and that's that's really what seems to set him apart. I don't want all the other color commentators to to feel like they've got to you know predict every single play coming up. Uh, I want to hear more of an explanation of why what just happened happened, and what it means into the context of the game that you're watching. It, it's not just you know you're not you're not a horse you're not a horse picker you're not you're not handicapping plays. Uh, and maybe as 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 gambling in games gets more popular, <laughs> and, and and there's more prop bets on what the next play will be, uh, maybe you could actually point to a financial reason why Romo should make more money than that. But ten million a year to be a, to be an analyst on CBS Football does seem like a a little much. Yeah, and I guess they have the Super Bowl. I think next year, right? I, I believe. Well, I don't know. I believe they have the Super Bowl next year. So if you did. If you think about that, the you play if it's a seventeen game season, you get sixteen games plus the bye week. So seventeen games plus wild card, divisional. So am I wrong when I say it's twenty one games, maybe twenty two? Sounds about right. That's just that's so much money. I want to do the math or I'll do the math in a sec. But that uh, that just seems a little high. As much as we both like Romo, 
it seemed a little high, and he needs to get off my lawn for requesting that. All right, my last one is I am just so sick of hearing about my bracket this, my bracket that. I don't care about your bracket. Nobody cares about your bracket. And, and, and I'm really talking about what I see on Twitter because I'm lucky enough that I don't, I don't work in an office. I know in, in an office setting, a lot of people are talking about my bracket, my bracket, my bracket. The same thing you do with my fantasy team, my fantasy team, my fantasy team. But what I saw on Twitter, you know, over the weekend, especially during that UCF Duke game, and admittedly, I think most people were rooting for UCF because you wanted to see the upset. You wanted to see Cinderella, and you wanted to see the number one team get knocked off its perch. But everybody still couched it in, this will destroy my bracket. But, and it, it just, look, I don't care about your bracket. I don't think anybody does. Can we just, can we, can we try to limit ourselves to the words, my bracket, during this time it ain't about you. I know your Twitter is about you, but really nobody cares about your bracket. So take your bracket, take your pencil, and get off my lawn. So Baker Mayfield is really mad at American Airlines. He tweeted this out concerning his fiance. He said, hey, American Air, my fiance has her bachelorette party this weekend, and y'all canceled her direct flight. Changed her ticket and seat. It's no longer nonstop. I'm not sure how y'all do business, but I'm pretty sure that isn't how it's supposed to go. And without a refund. And then this comedian tweeted at him, sorry your fiancé gets treated like every other human being. And so he claps back, actually, I'm the one that's doing something, Tony. Get lost. If I can take care of her, I'm going to. Is that so hard to comprehend? And this is the best line. And I love when guys say this. Chivalry is dead in your eyes. Anytime a guy mentions chivalry involving a woman, it's just it's hysterical. <laughs> like if you have to mention that you're being chivalrous or that this is something to do with chivalry, it's probably not. So, but he was mad. So, American Airlines needs to get off Baker Mayfield's lawn because he was he was hacked off this past weekend. Boo freaking who, Baker? Boo freaking who? Like the halftime pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.